Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode number 188 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tricotti, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And we have one division in the books, the AFC East, which we reviewed a few days ago. Go back and check out episode 187 if you want to hear our thoughts on that division. Episode 188 tonight, we'll cover the NFC East. Tony, any themes you saw from the division that uh, stand out to you? I like what Washington did. I, I think overall this division has a lot of risk uh, attached to it, which we'll get into. And we will get into that in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. We can't bet on where rookies get drafted anymore, but we can bet on their NFL performance. Trevor Lawrence and Jameen Davis currently the front runners for offensive and defensive rookie of the year, respectively, but the odds pretty spread out at this point, meaning it is anybody's award here in May as it should be because it's only May. And I'm sure there are a lot of Jet fans out there hoping that the rookie of the year is going to be either Zach Wilson or Elijah Moore. So head on to the website, betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, after hitting the AFC East on our last show, we'll head over to their NFC counterparts in the East Division, starting again with the team who drafted the highest. That would be the Philadelphia Eagles, who jumped the New York Giants at number 11 into the number 10 spot to draft Heisman winning wide receiver Devontae Smith out of Alabama, third receiver off the board, second from the Crimson Tide. I mean, listen, Devontae Smith is small. He weighs about 170 pounds. So that is certainly a concern for a lot of teams was not a concern for the Philadelphia Eagles, who really have struggled to add wide receivers in recent years, whether it's J.J. Arcega-Whiteside a few years ago, whether it was Jalen Rager last year, who, I mean, listen, jury's still out on Jalen Rager, but Justin Jefferson obviously came in and was a much better football player. But Devontae Smith, I mean, there's a reason the guy won the Heisman Trophy. He was absolutely outstanding last year. Nobody could cover him. I mean, yeah, he's 170 pounds, but if you can't get your hands on him, it doesn't really matter how much he weighs. Pristine route runner, guy who creates separation with ease, can make big plays, doesn't have home run speed like his teammate Jalen Waddle, but, you know, a guy with more than enough speed to get open, to get downfield. Tony, what do you think of both the player and the fit here for Smith with Philly? Yeah, Nelson Aguilar, another player that the, uh, another receiver, the, uh, the, the Eagles drafted early in the first round, never lived up to expectation. I mean, a lot of people compare him to Deshaun Jackson, who the Eagles selected, although they selected him in the second round. He doesn't have Deshaun Jackson's speed, but he's much more of a polished pass catcher. I think it's a situation where you're going to have to get him into space. You're going to have to create clearing for him. He's a guy who's not afraid to get up for the contested pass. It's just a matter of, you know, you said weighed about 170 pounds. He was 166 pounds. And the concern is he's never really going to get 
much higher than 171 or 172 pounds. So he's a tough guy. He's, you know, we can go on and on and on about what a complete game he has. It's just a matter of you got to protect them because you don't know how long that body's going to hold up to take uh, to an NFL pounding. Now, speaking of bodies that may not hold up, second round pick for Philly, also out of Alabama, offensive lineman, center, guard, whatever you want to call him, Landon Dickerson. I mean, a guy with a littered injury history throughout college, a very good player, a guy we've discussed on the show, just nasty, a guy you really want on your team if he can stay on the field, a guy you're going to have to make sure that you can keep healthy. If you do, that could be a decent pick for Philly. But with all the risk involved, it does seem like a bit of a reach. Milton Williams, defensive tackle from Louisiana Tech, a guy we talked about as someone who was rising up boards and, you know, had grades from some teams as a late first round pick, not necessarily saying that he would go in the first round, ends up going just inside the top 75 at pick number 73 here to Philadelphia. Tony, what do you think about how the Eagles did on the second day? You know, a lot of risk in both of these selections. You talk about can Landon Dickerson stay healthy. I'm wondering how soon before those prior injuries that he suffered at Florida State the first three years he was there. The last year he was at Alabama, eventually catch up to him in the form of early arthritis or immobility or something like that. You know, it's it's an absolute roll of the dice with Landon Dickerson. Great player, but a medical nightmare. Milton Williams, also a roll of the dice. The fact is this, you know, he would he tested through the roof. He had an Olympian-type workout. He showed flashes at Louisiana Tech, but he was never a consistent producer. Now, I was told that was because that he was asked to do that. He was basically asked to be more of a gap occupier rather than someone who made plays. So, uh, again, you know, you hope that Landon Dickerson uh, can stay healthy. You hope that Milton Williams can start to really turn that athleticism into production. I'm surprised with the needed cornerback that the uh, the Eagles did not address the position in day two when there were a lot of good cor- cornerbacks, especially in round two. Now, Tony kind of segued that perfectly for me here because the Eagles did address the defensive secondary in the fourth round with Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech, Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, explosive running back guy who opted out of the 2020 season, went with pick 150 overall. The guy who many expected to go earlier, but again, that was kind of a theme with the running backs this year. You know, just guys falling in the draft, a trio of six-round picks for the Eagles. USC defensive lineman Marlon Tui-Pilotu, Coastal Carolina defensive end Teron Jackson, and LSU safety Jacoby Stevens. And then a seventh-rounder Patrick Johnson, the defensive end out of Tulane. You know, a couple of notable names here. Teron Jackson is a guy we've discussed on the show. Good, solid football player, not really outstanding in any aspect. Jacoby Stevens. Similar player in terms of LSU was able to do some things on the field, but you know, a sixth round pick and a guy who probably should have gone about the sixth round. Tony, what do you think? You know, it's interesting. McPherson, I like McPherson, but I don't think he's anything more than a nickel back, a dime back, maybe a nickel back, uh, a smaller guy. Gainwell is absolutely uh, the type of back that the Eagles like a guy who can beat defenders into the open field and then run to daylight. Someone who's shown flashes, but again, opted out last season, doesn't have a big body of work. Tui Pioloto, dropped because of medical concerns, probably dropped two rounds later than his draft grade warranted. Teron Jackson, I think, is a good fit for the uh, Eagle system. Patrick Johnson, I think, is also a good fit. What really surprises me is the Eagles, the defensive line is not a weakness for the team. In fact, it's one of the team's strength, yet they took, what, one, two, three, four defensive linemen and one cornerback where, where they needed cornerbacks, uh, and the cornerback they took is a dime, maybe a nickel. And, you know, they got Devonta Smith, but I think they probably could have taken another receiver, uh, a bigger guy at, at some point in the draft, especially with Arcega Whiteside not panning out and likely on his way out of, out of the franchise. And you could certainly argue that, you know, the 
defensive line building up up front can help your secondary, but they didn't really draft any pass rushers with those picks. I mean, Milton Williams can maybe provide a little rush from the interior, but again, a projection, like you said. So it's not like they're even looking to help their secondary by adding pass rushers. They didn't really add too much in terms of secondary help after the draft. They didn't add any corners or safeties. They added an edge, Jaquan Bailey out of Iowa state. They also drafted a couple wide receivers, Javon Grimes out of Florida and Jamon Osborne out of Texas A&M, Jamie Newman from Georgia and Wake Forest. I mean, you know, a guy that we talked about just the opt out hurting him so badly this year falls completely out of the draft. The guy we think uh, highly of, we think he has a good amount of upside lands in an interesting spot behind Jalen Hurts, who is certainly not proven as a quarterback, but he's an undrafted player. It's a long road, especially at the quarterback position. And then Buffalo offensive tackle Coyote Awasika, a guy that we've discussed here, you know, a guy that we thought was going to go on day three of the draft falls all the way out of the draft. So a lot of names here for Philly. I feel like they did pretty well in undrafted free agency. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I would expect Newman to find his way onto a, a practice squad because he needs a lot of work on his game. Oh, sequel, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the active roster. I'm surprised he fell out of the draft. Uh, he's a guy who played left tackle at Buffalo. You know, Jared Patterson, who we'll talk about later, everyone was surprised he wasn't drafted. But the fact is this, Jared Patterson was the beneficiary of the massive halls Owasika was opening up at Buffalo. Trevon Grimes is a name to, to keep an eye on. If they can develop him, I mean, he's a bigger receiver who's got sneaky speed, who played very well, but was the third fiddle on the Florida offense behind Kyle Pitts and, and uh, Kadarius Tony. Now, Dallas Cowboys previously had that number 10 pick that they traded to Philly, rare interdivision draft trader, traded all really. And they only moved down two spots. They moved down number 12, and they selected Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons with that pick. As we mentioned earlier, Jameen Davis, the favorite for rookie of the year, could be a question of playing time with Micah Parsons. The Cowboys do have some linebackers on the roster. They did decline Leighton Van Der Esch's fifth-year option, though, so obviously they don't really view him as a big part of their future, and they do view Micah Parsons as a big part of their future. Good player, another guy who opted out of the 2020 campaign. Didn't really affect his draft stock at all. Very good athlete. Instincts can be a bit questionable at times. Another year on the field certainly would have helped him in terms of his development as a player. So maybe he's a little bit more raw than he would have been if he played the season. But Dallas is certainly making a bet on traits here. Tony, what do you think of the Parsons pick? I think it's a risky pick that's got a huge amount of upside, but it's also got some bust factor. I'm going to forget about the quote, you know, the alleged character uh, concerns. I'm going to talk about the fact that his instincts run hot and cold. Now, if you get Parsons to play at the top of his game mentally, you can have a home run here because from a physical standpoint and from a highlight standpoint, Parsons is a top eight selection that they got with the 12th pick of the draft. I know this. They're very excited about having Parsons and Leighton Van Der Esch roam that uh, second level of the defense. It's a matter of Parsons really developing into an NFL player and Van Der Esch remaining healthy. Now, in the second round, Dallas selected Kentucky cornerback Kelvin Joseph. We discussed on our last show when his teammate Brandon Eccles went to the Jets that Kentucky moved him into more of a playmaking role. Obviously, he was able to parlay that into a top 45 draft selection here. A trio of third-round picks in addition for Dallas. UCLA defensive lineman Osa Odegizua, practice player of the week for the Senior Bowl, and a guy that every offensive lineman we interviewed that played down in mobile called him out as one of the toughest guys to block down there at the Senior Bowl. Chauncey Golston, defensive end out of Iowa. It's a bit surprising to see him go in round three. Tony and I both like him as a player, but certainly was projected as a third-day pick. Same thing with Nashawn Wright, cornerback out of Oregon State. The guy Tony had rated as a fourth-rounder, and really, uh, you know, not too many people had him graded even that highly. So a very surprising pick 
for Dallas there. How do you think the Cowboys did on day two? Yeah, this is where really the risk starts to take off after Michael Parsons. Kelvin Joseph, I like him a lot, but he's got a very thin body of work. He was put in that playmaking mold at Kentucky uh, last year. He did a good job of it. The thing is, is he did it mostly facing the action. Want to see how he can do making plays with his back to the ball. Also want to see his speed. I mean, his game speed was not terrific, even though he ran a 4-3 during pro day workouts. Has a high upside, but it's going to need a lot of work. A Diggy Zua, you know, as you mentioned, every guy that we uh, interviewed, every offensive lineman we interviewed from the senior bowl said that he, you know, he was an impossible guy to stop. But the fact is he's small. He doesn't have great size. He doesn't have great growth potential. He's explosive. He's more of your three technique lineman. I love the way he plays, but I think he's got limitations. Golston, you know, parallel what you said. I like Golston as a player. I thought he's more of a fourth round pick. Same thing with Nashawn Wright. Wright has an upside. I mean, he's a tall, thin guy who flashed ball skills last year. Played really well in 2020 before uh, deciding to opt for the draft. He's thin, though. He's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to polish his ball skills. I think he's a developmental guy that's going to see the field a lot in nickel packages as a rookie. Now, six third-day picks for Dallas will break him into sets of three here, starting with two fourth-rounders, LSU linebacker Jabril Cox and Marshall offensive lineman Josh Ball. And I mean, these picks, full of upside. Jabril Cox is a guy, you know, can cover. He transferred from North Dakota State, played one year at LSU. Yeah, I had an up and down type of season, but really a guy that can cover, has good speed. Most people expected him to go way earlier than the 115th pick. Josh Ball, what about where he was expected in the draft due to his previous character concerns stemming back from Florida State several years ago? Um, but I mean, this is a guy that we talked about early in the season. You know, he's a day two upside type of offensive lineman. Talents like him don't fall to the third day unless there are other concerns. If he's truly passed his off-field transgressions from few years ago this is a definitely a good pick for Dallas and then Semi Fuhoku in the fifth round wide receiver out of Stanford just adds depth to a position where the Cowboys are very stacked up top but Michael Gallup could be gone at the end of the season Tony what do you think about this trio of third day players Cox was an absolute steal and and, and the fact is this if Jalen Smith he really doesn't catch on to the Dan Quinn uh the defense this year Dan Quinn the new defensive coordinator I think they move on from Jalen Smith and then you got your Bill Cox in there. Uh, Josh Ball, listen, the incident with Josh Ball at Florida State seems to be a one-off incident. It seemed to be more of a he said, she said sort of thing. Uh, it, it hasn't been an issue that's reared its ugly head time and time again. Now, obviously, you know, people can do their own research on it. it. The incident is what scared a lot of teams off. Dallas decided to roll the dice. Josh Ball is a terrific offensive tackle prospect. He's tall. He's fundamentally sound. He's athletic. He moves well. He's a terrific pass protector who's also a nasty run blocker who can get out in the second level. Uh, I, I would expect Josh Ball, I, I don't think there's going to be any off the field concerns with Josh Ball moving forward. I think if he gets a little bit stronger and then really elevates his game to the NFL competition, Dallas Cowboys could be looking at a starting tackle here, potentially starting left tackle, absolutely starting right tackle. Simi Vajeko, he's got great upside, a very slim body of work. He's got to prove that he's not another J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and show that he can translate those skills that he showed last year at Stanford onto the NFL field. Now, the last three picks for Dallas, Kentucky defensive tackle Quinton Bohana, South Carolina defensive back Israel Mukwama, and Nebraska guard Matt Farniok. Tony, anything stand out for you on what Dallas was able to do in the sixth and seventh rounds? Farnook was a solid player, but it was his outstanding pro day that pushed him into the last round. As far as Mukamamu was concerned, 
I think he's a guy you're going to have to kick inside to safety. He's a big, tall, rangy guy with solid speed who really struggles making plays with his back to the ball, but is very effective facing the action. Now, lots of undrafted free agents for Dallas. Certainly some names in this group as well. Brennan Eagles from Texas, a high-level recruit who never really put it all together for the Longhorns. TJ Vasher from Texas Tech, who kind of had a COVID-ruined 2020 season. Osiris Mitchell from Mississippi State and Brandon Smith from Iowa. I mean, four wide receivers were all pretty solid players. It's going to be hard for really any of them to make the roster considering what Dallas has at the position and the resources that they obviously poured into the position after the draft here, Nick Eubanks from Michigan, another name that, uh, you know, maybe isn't a roster guy, could be a practice squad type of guy, but a player that some expected to be drafted. And then Brendan Knox out of Marshall is a guy that we talked about on the show as someone who is gaining some steam as a possible day three pick. We didn't really love it in terms of, you know, his talent. Like he's a guy kind of like Jarrett Patterson in a way who just had opportunity to put up a lot of production at the college level, but scouts really like Brendan Knox. So see him go undrafted here and picked up from Dallas. Seems like a pretty shrewd mood. Tony, a lot of names in this group, a lot of game as well. And a lot of guys who actually played very good in 2019 then watched their games fall off last year, specifically TJ Vasher, a receiver from Texas Tech, or Sarius Mitchell, the receiver from uh, Mississippi State, and Nick Eubanks, the tight end from Michigan. And he's the guy I would keep an eye on because, you know, they wanted to come out of the draft with the tight end. They really didn't. There's a need at the position. Blake Jarwin is solid, but there's a real need for someone to to take over the position. Nick Eubanks has shown that ability. He showed it in 2018. He showed it in 2019. Uh, So I I think they got a lot of guys that are, uh, you know, have have played good football in the past. Uh, Another guy, interesting guy to keep an eye on, Tyler Coyle of Purdue. uh, By way of Connecticut coming into the season, Coyle was graded as a middle round choice. He was a rotational player at Purdue had an Olympian type of pro day workout. Uh, They've got him listed at linebacker. I don't know. I think he's more of a strong safety, a guy who, if he doesn't make the active roster, absolutely a practice squad player. Now we'll move on to the Washington football team here who with the 19th pick in the draft went with Kentucky linebacker, Jameen Davis, a lot of Kentucky guys that we've been talking about on these first couple shows here, you know, listen, good player. He's got a good build. Good 40 time at his pro day, 447. May not play to that on the field, but he is a good player. And right now, he is the favorite for the rookie of the year award. I think a lot of that has to do with just his position on the depth chart. Going to be an immediate starter for the Washington football team here. A guy that's plugged right into the lineup and should see a lot of snaps. Tony, do you think he's ready for him? Well, I, I think he's favorite for rookie of the year, not only because uh, of his position, but the fact that he plays on a good defense. Uh, that is coached by an outstanding defensive minded coach. So a lot of things are pointing up for Davis. And the fact is, this is, you know, he's just hitting a stride here. He's more of a two down defender, very good against the run, very good up the field or in pursuit needs to work on his uh, coverage skills and making plays in reverse. But if you're looking for a, a real tough punch in the face type of run defender, Jamon Davis is the guy and he's got great upside. Yeah, and Tony in the intro mentioned that he liked what Washington did in the draft. If you look at their second day picks, you can see why Texas offensive tackle Sam Cosme just outside the top 50 at pick 51 in the second round. Then two third rounders, Minnesota cornerback Benjamin St. Juice and North Carolina wide receiver Deami Brown. I mean, Cosme is a guy, a lot of upside with Cosme. So 
doesn't have maybe a ton of experience, a little bit raw, but a guy that, you know, again, we talked about Josh Ball for the Cowboys went much later in the draft, but a guy who could be a starter and provide nice value. Cosme could be a very good starter and provide nice value, even as a top 51 pick. Benjamin St. Juice, talented player out of Minnesota, will add to the secondary that does need a little bit of work. And Deami Brown is a deep threat for a team that really needs a deep threat. And they need some guys to help out Terry McLaurin. I mean, he was at some points last year, a one-man show. I know Logan Thomas was decent, but, you know, more on underneath routes. I mean, Terry McLaurin facing, you know, shadow coverage, double coverage, over the top. I mean, and he still was productive, but a guy like Deami Brown, who can take the top off a of defense, not necessarily with his speed, but wins downfield with his size, can get down the field. And you have to respect that, plug him into the lineup, you're opening lots of holes for Terry McLaurin in addition to getting a potentially productive player here. Tony, I assume you like what the Washington team did here on day two. Potentially. I mean, Cosme's a guy who has a redshirt freshman at Texas look like, you know, the next, next big thing, but his play kind of leveled off. He's got an upside. He's shown it before. It's a matter of Ron Rivera getting between his ears and kicking him in the butt to get him to play to his level of ability. If they do, if he does that, they got a starting left tackle on their hands, which is what they need. St. Justice, the guys, I said time and time again, I thought he was better in 2019 than he was in 2020. I don't think they used him correctly in 2020. They used him more as a nickelback. He's a bump and run cover who's got a large upside. I thought there was an exceptional pick. And again, what you said about Diami Brown, I had him as a third rounder. He went in the third round. He's a guy who played good in 2019, played better in 2020, a vertical threat, although he doesn't have that second gear but a guy who catches the ball well down the field and also can make the reception on intermediate routes. Now, three picks in rounds four through six for Washington, Boise State tight end John Bates, Cincinnati safety Derek Forrest, and Michigan long snapper Cameron Cheeseman. Bates was a guy, you know, jack of all trades, master of none type of player, but, you know, can add depth at a position where, I mean, Washington is starting a former quarterback in college at the position, you know, not to take away from Logan Thomas. He did play well last season, but definitely a, a, a position where he was playing, you know, almost a hundred percent of the snaps. They needed to help him out just a little bit here. Tony, what stands out to you from what Washington was able to do in these three rounds? Bates is a guy who I think is going to be a very good number two tight end. He's an exceptional blocker who catches the ball well, but he doesn't have the speed. So again, going back to what we said with Hunter long on our previous uh, review with the Miami dolphins, Third and short, third and goal. You can bring John Bates in. He'll do a good job blocking for you. Or you can send him out on a short route, three or four yards off the line of scrimmage. He'll make the catch. I was very happy to see Derek Forrest get selected. I had him as a fifth rounder. He went in the fifth round. He's an athletic guy who plays smart, tough football. Well coached at Cincinnati. Had a terrific pro day. I think he's got a large amount of upside. Now, a pair of pass rushers lead off the seventh round where Washington had three selections. Baylor, Outside linebacker, edge rusher, whatever you want to call him, William Bradley King, Penn State's Shaka Tony was the other pick, and BYU wide receiver Dax Milne, one of Zach Wilson's favorite targets for the Cougars. I mean, we've talked about Shaka Tony a lot on the show as a guy who just runs hot and cold. I mean, he'll have a three-sack game, and then he'll completely disappear for a month. Um, you know, depending what player you get here, you know, could very well be worth the seventh-round pick. There's certainly talent there, but he is a bit small. He was certainly very inconsistent at the college level. I'd say William Bradley King was probably a more consistent player, also has some athletic traits as well. Tony, what do you think of this trio? Yeah, players with contrasting styles. Bradley King is not as athletic as Shaka Tony. If he was, he probably would have been a fourth-round pick, but he plays on every down. He gets the most from his ability. And like you said, with Tony, you know, he'll play great one game, and then you won't see him for the next two games. It's a matter of getting him to play up to his level of ability, 
like Sam Cosme, like Ben St. Jude's, like a lot of other guys in this draft. But I think overall, Washington did a good job. One undrafted free agent for Washington. And he's a guy we will discuss here, Jarrett Patterson out of Buffalo, because he's a guy we talked about. Uh, certainly small, certainly not that big, certainly had big holes to run through. Uh, but, you know, as an undrafted free agent, I can understand bringing a guy like this in. Obviously, a lot of production that comes with a lot of tread on the tires as well, but certainly worth a shot as a UDFA and a guy that if you plug him in, if you need to, if Antonio Gibson gets hurt and everybody else on the depth chart goes down, I mean, he's shown that he can produce when he has holes to run through. I mean, the fact is this, he's small, five foot six and change. He's not a big body back. I was told during his pro day, there were times in the four sevens. There's just not a place for that type of guy in the NFL draft. Doesn't mean he can't play at the next level, but he is what he is. He's a potential rotational ball carrier at the next level who lacks height, lacks size, lacks speed, but he gets the most from his ability. He's smart and he's tough. And maybe there's a place for him as a number four back uh, on the uh, Washington roster. Now, finally, we get to the New York football giants here. Initially, they were picking 11th highest of any team in the division, but they got leapfrogged for Devontae Smith, assuming that they wanted Devontae Smith at the number 11 pick. Maybe if so, shades of Leonard Floyd from a few years ago when everyone knew the Giants wanted him and the Bears jumped right over them to take him. Now this time, Dave Gettleman, instead of panicking and making a pick, pulls off a trade back his first ever. He also did it again later in the draft as well. This one was helping the Bears move up for Justin Fields. They moved back nine spots and select Florida wide receiver Kadarius Toney. Now you knew the Giants were going to look for some help for Daniel Jones. They really know that this is the make or break season for Daniel Jones. They need to fully evaluate him and they need to give him as much help as they can. A lot of people thought offensive line was going to be this pick. Christian Darasaw is on the board, a guy that Tony and I both love. He was there. They passed on him. They add Kadarius Tony. I mean, listen, this team has wide receivers. They have Sterling Shepard. They have Darius Slayton. They signed Kenny Galladay in the offseason. And they also have Evan Ingram, who is just a supersized wide receiver. Tony brings a lot of other things to the table. I mean, you know, they can line him up in the backfield. They can use him on jet sweeps. They can try to get him touches in many different ways as a manufactured touch player. The question is, what can Jason Garrett do with a player like that? Certainly a concern. Tony is talented. Absolutely. I mean, came to college as a quarterback, a guy who, you know, still has some development and refinement as a receiver, didn't break out till his senior season because of his relative inexperience at the spot, but good player a guy that most people thought would go in the first round, but I found this pick interesting. I don't want to say it was bad. I thought the Giants could have gone in other directions, and I see the value that Tony brings because he's not like anything they have on the roster, but I just th this pick surprised me a little bit. What about you, Tony? Yeah, it's not a, not just a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. It's a make-or-break year for Dave Gettleman, who almost got fired in the offseason. I, I mean, I have my concerns about this selection, especially with Quiddy Pay sitting on the board available for the Giants who desperately needed a – edge rusher, which Quiddy Pay is a terrific edge rusher. Now they got one in round two, which we'll talk about. But the fact is this, you know, you mentioned can uh, Jason Garrett use him correctly. It didn't really didn't use Tavon Austin all that well when Austin was in Dallas and, and Jason Garrett was the head coach there. I think my other concern about Tony is this, you know, opposing defenses were not putting their best defensive backs on, on Kadarius Tony. They were putting him on Kyle Pitts, which freed Kadarius Tony up to do a lot of different things. And people talk about his playmaking ability. And, you know, now he'll be more the focus of attention and he's going to be playing against better competition in the NFL. I, I applaud the Giants for a trade down, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be watching how Kadarius Tony does versus Quiddy Pay. Yeah. And speaking of 
Quinnipiac, guy they passed on, but they get a guy of similar talent, arguably even higher upside, maybe not quite as safe as Quinnipiac, but Aziz Ojolari at pick 50 out of Georgia, a guy that, I mean, we've been talking about since the summer is a guy that we thought could be a first round pick. I mean, almost falls out of the top 50, really great value here for the Giants, really just, I mean, the bend off the edge that Ojolari can bring, I think he has as much upside as any edge rusher in this draft, and you really can't knock this pick. Obviously, they don't know that he's going to be available, so, you know, passing on pay, you don't necessarily say, oh, it's because they got Ojolari that changes things, but it certainly helps in terms of adding to their pass rush. Aaron Robinson, the cornerback out of Central Florida, was their third-round pick at number 71. Another talented player that UCF secondary is pretty good with, Aaron Robinson and Richie Grant. Brandon Moore was there too, although he was hurt all season. Uh, but I mean, really a good pick here. Aaron Robinson's a guy that can really fortify the secondary. Good athleticism, a guy a lot of people thought was going to go a bit earlier in the draft. So I really like these two value picks for the Giants. So anything you could say about Kadarius Tony maybe not providing the best value, they made up a little bit of that on day two. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Aziz Ojolari, if he stays healthy, and there's no reason to think he's not going to stay healthy, could end up being the steal of the draft because the guy was top 20, uh, was a top 20 prospect. He's a terrific fit for the Giants system as a stand-up edge rusher who can also play in space. Had horrible medicals at the combine, uh, which is what pushed him down. It's amazing that Landon Dickerson, who had bad combine medicals and missed huge amounts of time on the college level because of massive injuries is selected before Aziz Ojolari, who really didn't miss any time the past two years at Georgia or no time that I remember. And I've watched all the Georgia film, uh, but they, they project him, uh, they project his medicals to be a, an issue moving forward. So, uh, I mean, I, I find that fascinating. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, if Aziz Ojolari plays to the potential that we both feel he can. And, you know, like Chris said, I, after watching his redshirt freshman film, I knew he was going to be an outstanding selection. I thought he was a better version of Leonard Floyd. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm rooting for him. I hope this pick turns out. And I hope Aziz Ojolari can basically say F you to all those teams that passed on him with the 49 selections beforehand. Aaron Robinson is a big physical cornerback. He's very athletic. you got to play him in a system where he's facing the action. His instincts aren't that great. He makes a lot of plays with athleticism. But again, he brings talent to the Giants secondary. He, he's a guy that I think will be a nickelback at worst dime as he continues to develop his game. Now, just three third-day picks for the Giants in the fourth round. Another pass rusher and another good value pass rusher in Northern Iowa's Ellerson Smith. I mean, you know, they knew they had to address the position. They didn't even have to use a first-round pick, and they got two very good players that can fill in on this roster. A pair of sixth rounders rounded out the Giants draft. Arizona running back Gary Brightwell, guy a lot of people didn't expect to get drafted, might be strictly a special teamer. And then Oklahoma State cornerback Rodarius Williams, a guy I like. You know, I think he could have gone a, a round or two earlier. He's got that kind of talent, a bit inconsistent for the Cowboys at times, but I thought this was also a good value pick for the Giants. Just six selections, but definitely a good amount of value for Dave Gettleman here. You know, this isn't my MO to necessarily credit Dave Gettleman, but I think he deserves a little bit of credit for this draft. Yeah. On paper, it looks real good. Uh, Ellerson Smith, it'll be interesting to see how he's used. I thought he would be better as a defensive end and a four man front. He has the athleticism to stand over tackle showed at the senior bowl, 20 pounds heavier than people thought he is a terrific pass rusher and he's a real good athlete and he gets up the field. That's all that matters. That's what the giants needed. Where Darius Williams, I thought was an outstanding pick uh, in round six or late in round six, I should say, another guy who's going to add talent, going to add competition to the Giants' secondary. I really thought the Jets should have looked his way late in round five or, or round six. 
Uh, they didn't. I, I think uh, the Giants made a good move here. And, and I believe you said the Giants only had three uh, selections on the third day of the draft. They made a lot of trades and they got a lot of picks next year. And we yep. talked about this time and time again, how the picks next year, especially those day three picks are going to be incredibly valuable because of so many seniors going back and next year's draft just being so loaded with talent. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's kind of a good segue here to talk about just three undrafted free agents signed by the Giants. Two offensive linemen, Florida's Brett Hedgie and Jake Burton, Baylor and UCLA, former player. Georgia Southern's edge rusher Raymond Johnson III was the third guy. I mean, not a ton of names, not a ton of impact, and that's kind of a theme that we've seen with a lot of these teams and the UDFA class because, as you just said, so many players went back to school that it really affected not just the depth of the draft, but also, and probably even more so, the depth of the undrafted free agency core. I mean, some of these teams signing fewer than five undrafted free agents, you really don't see that in a normal year. So, you know, the Giants not really saying, okay, we, we're going to go hard in, in the undrafted crowd here, um, you know, like a team like the Jets was able to do, but they have a lot of picks next year. So a lot of those picks are going to essentially kind of be like the UDFAs that they didn't sign this year in terms of next year's roster. And, you know, a lot of guys that might've gone undrafted this year that would have been scooped up by teams because teams wanted them, you know, they're going to be in the draft next year, whether they improve their stock and become third day picks or whether they're undrafted free agents next year, it's going to be a whole different ball game that we're going to see in 2022. Well, I, I think the interesting thing about the UDFAs this year was there were, very few from non-BCS schools, very few FCS division, one double A division, two division three, because those guys have the option, have the option to basically go back after their season ended and their season just ended. So they, they, they didn't have to accept the contract. They, they were basically in a, in, a, in a spot where they could negotiate. And if they didn't like the contract that was offered, the UDFA contract, they could say, the hell with you, I'm going back to school. I do like the signing of Raymond Johnson. Let me put it this way. I like Raymond Johnson, the player. I don't know what the Giants are going to do with him. I like Raymond Johnson as a 4-3 defensive end. He's an explosive guy. He's a hardworking guy. I just think that in a 3-4 type system, he's going to be overwhelmed because he's not very big. And that's it for the 188th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back with two more divisions this week to get us halfway through the league. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.